Welcome to the Church of Omaha. Why don't we stand together and let's just clap our hands to the Lord and bless Him this morning. Is He worthy? Hallelujah. Glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Welcome to all of you who are here and in the house of the Lord with us. We honor you. All of our guests, we greet you and bless you in the name of the Lord. All of you joining us online, we have some out sick today. We're praying for you, and we love you. Amen. And uh, if you would join me in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, that's where we're going to be reading from today, beginning of verse 13. I'll read my text, we'll pray, and, and we'll get moving here. do appreciate you bearing with us as we make adjustments with the, the heat. It's, you know, going to be 60-some-odd later today. I'm trying to make it to where it's comfortable in the sanctuary but not too hot because by the time we get in here to worship, it's going to be an oven. And so if you're a little chilly, you know, bear with us. We're not trying to freeze you out. But it will help you stay awake, right? So, First Peter 3, verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may by... May, excuse me, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil doing. And for just a few moments, I want to teach on this subject, suffer for well-doing. Suffering for well-doing. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus... We thank you today for this opportunity to gather together, to worship you, to bless you. Lord, this is your church. You are the head of the church. God, your word alone has the power to save, heal, and deliver. God, we thank you for all of that today and ask you to move by your Holy Spirit and confirm your word with signs following. Help me to walk into your spirit and never into my flesh and speak only what you want to, to be said, nothing more or less. We ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. Such verses as we have read today are contrary to the messages heralded in postmodern pulpits. The prosperity gospel is alive and well, preaching that which tickles the ear and entices the flesh, and this is a sad reality, as a matter of fact. Some has gone to, as far as to say that if you suffer, you're not blessed. That those who are blessed don't suffer. But those who preach such filth reveal they've not read their Bibles. In all five chapters of 1 Peter... Peter reveals the concept of suffering as Christ suffered. He actually does this 15 total times. 
I'm just going to give you real quickly, run through five of them. In 1 Peter 1.11, he mentions the sufferings of Christ. 1 Peter 2.21, he says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also has suffered once for sins. 1 Peter 4.1, for Christ also has, uh, or excuse me, for as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. And 1 Peter 5.1, again, the sufferings of Christ. That's just five of the 15 times that he mentions it throughout that first epistle. So either 1 Peter isn't in their Bibles, or they're totally ignoring it, or if they do read it, they must believe that Jesus wasn't blessed. Besides that, there are many other passages in the Bible that reveal the, the charlatan aspect of these Preachers. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, that Peter and John counted themselves worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, after he had preached and then suffered uh, for preaching God's truth, he then prayed forgiveness for those who were murdering him in his dying breath. When God called Paul to the ministry, he was Saul of Tarsus, right? He includes with it the suffering that Paul will endure for his namesake. You can find that in Acts chapter 9. I guess Paul, I guess Peter, I guess Stephen, I guess John. They weren't blessed either. Or were they? Obviously, prosperity preachers don't have some verses from Romans in their Bibles either. Or they ignore them. Romans 8 verses 16 through 18. I want you to well, take a look at this with me. It will be on the screen momentarily here. Romans 8 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit, capital S, lowercase s. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Are you thankful for that? But look at the last part of that verse. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, Paul says, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know there can be times when that's all you see in front of you. But if you'll just lift up your head above the suffering, above the circumstance to eternity, there's coming a day... When the glory revealed in us is far greater than the suffering of our present time. Hallelujah. I, by the way, just going to pause here in case you don't know. I think the Bible's right and the prosperity preachers are wrong. Just making sure you got that, that memo. <laughs> I could continue going through more and more scriptures. Uh, but I, I really do think that the point is being made. Suffering is a part of our walk with God sometimes. Now, please don't think that I wake up and go, oh, can't wait to suffer today. Woo! Bring it on! No, I, no, that's, <laughs> nope. <clears throat> Sorry. But I do realize that when I do suffer, <clears throat> I want to have the right attitude about it. I want to have a biblical perspective about it. I want to be prepared for it and 
face it how God would want me to. Besides the prosperity gospel message not being supported in Scripture, I also don't like it because it gives people a false sense of hope that being a true believer gets you a get-out-of-jail-free card. It doesn't work that way. Such preaching, I'm just going to be blunt, it's a lie. I would rather warn you that suffering is inevitable if you're a believer, and then you never experience it than to tell you, oh, if you're not healthy, wealthy, and wise, then you're not blessed. I'd much rather stay with the Bible than my flesh or opinions or traditions. What saith the Scripture? That needs to be our motto. This is the supreme and superior constitution of the church. And unlike the United States Constitution, this can't be changed. This can't be altered. It's a living, breathing document of the very Word of God. Amen. What saith the Scripture? That's my answer. That's my guide. That's how I get through it. That's how I face it. This is the lens by which I view my suffering. Amen. I don't want creeds. I don't want opinions. I don't want traditions that are contrary to God's Word. If it doesn't align to God's Word, I don't want it. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to subscribe to it. Tell me the truth. Let our hearts cry. Be that of the Apostle Paul from Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Watch this. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. I don't just want the glory. I don't just want the excitement of the new birth. But I'm willing to suffer if that's what it means to get what I want with God. Hallelujah being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. So how do we suffer for well-doing? Well, in our text, Peter reveals four actions. When we do these four actions, God is revealed to a world that is searching for an authentic and eternal hope. If you don't think the world is hungry for something... If you don't think they're hungry for the spiritual, just look at the, some of the movies that are coming out that, that explore the spirit realm. People are wanting to know who God is. They want a genuine experience. They don't want a dogma. They don't want a creed. They want a transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we reveal Him, even through our suffering, what a way that He is testified of. 
So the first thing we do, the first action is, verse 13, three, uh, 1 Peter 3.13, follow after what is good. Take a look at the verse. Who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? So the first action we need to take is be a follower of good. John wrote something similar in his third epistle. Uh, 3 John, verse 11, he said, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that does good is of God, but he that does evil has not seen God. But if you look back at 1 Peter 3.13, if you just read it out of context, you might think that it, it's giving credence to the prosperity gospel. No harm is going to come to you if you're a follower of Jesus, a follower of good. But that's not what Peter is saying here. He's not talking about you won't suffer. Instead, he's, he's drawing from a lesson that Jesus taught in Matthew 10, 28. Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, Jesus was saying, they might take your body. They might cause suffering for you for, for righteousness sake. However... They can't take away your eternal destiny. I can. I'm the final judge. I write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And if I feel like it, I take your name out. So fear me. And so what Paul, or excuse me, Peter is saying here is, he says, if you follow after that which is good, no harm will come to you. He's not saying you won't suffer. He's saying they can't blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. The suffering I go through can't keep me from heaven. There was a story of a Jewish man in the Holocaust. And he, obviously the, the persecution and all the pressure and all that was being done. And uh, all day after day he would wake up and they would bring him in to torture and try different things. And, and they're sick twisted minds of what they were doing to people and each day he would get up and he would greet those soldiers with respect and how are you today and and good to see you again and all these stuff and finally the the major that was in charge uh, of his uh, uh you know persecution that he was uh, meeting out he said to him he said how is it that you can be so jovial we've we've taken you from your land and your family we've 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 killed your your friends and family members we've we've taken away your your sovereignty as a as a people how is it you can do this and the man looked at me and said, yes, you've taken all that from me. And that's, that's uh, I'm not debating that. He says, but you cannot take from me my choice of how I will respond. That's a powerful statement. And that's what Peter is, is ministering to here. He's saying, hey... You might harm this physical body, but it's going to die and decay anyway. But I've got an eternal body. I've got an eternal hope that you can't touch. That's why the Bible tells us to put, lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and where thieves can't break in and steal. I've got treasure you don't know. You might steal my wallet down here. You might take away my truck down here. You might take away my life down here. But you can't touch the treasure I have there. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep following after that which is good. Even when I feel bad. They can never kill the soul. What Peter is wanting you to do is lift up your eyes 
and look to eternity, not to the present. There was one window in the ark, and that's a misnomer in our English understanding. Because when we think of windows, we think of something like that or that that's the side. It was actually a skylight. And I got to look at that one day, and I was like, I wonder why. And all of a sudden it hit me. God didn't want him looking around at the storm. He wanted him looking up at the one who commands the wind and waves to obey him. So the way to endure suffering is to follow after what is good. The word follow there means to imitate someone else. The scripture gives us this. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So here's the principle. Sal, can I borrow you? Come here, elder. You've been through some things in your life. You've faced some trials. You've got some wisdom on your head, and I'm not saying it to mock. The Bible says that, right? And so the, the principle is, as long as you're following Christ, I can follow you. I can imitate you. I can look to what you've done. I can come to you and say, how did you get through that? That struggle, whether it was financial or marital or whatever, how did you do it, Brother Sal? And you can help me and, and tell me, and, well, I got on my knees and I prayed and I kept God in my focus and, and I, I had core values that were based in Scripture. You, whatever it is, you can tell me and I can imitate that as if I was following you while you're walking. Now, as long as he's following Christ, I can follow after. That's, that's good stuff. I want to be like the elder. Now, if he veers off and doesn't follow Christ, I'm going to find another elder that... that are you with me? And the same principle for pastoring. If I ever preach to you something that ain't in the word, go find a pastor that does preach to you in the word. That's my, thank you, that's my accountability is it better be here. That's why you hear me saying what saith the scripture. It's why you hear me pray, let me walk in your spirit, not in my flesh. Because I don't want to lead you astray. I am far more afraid of God than all of you combined and I don't say that to be arrogant. I, I'm more afraid of offending God than any one of you if I preach the truth. Because if I do not preach the truth, the Bible says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And so I need to follow that which is good. Hopefully I'm an example of remaining faithful and committed to the cause of Jesus. The Bible tells us how do we overcome? <laughs> By the blood of the Lamb, that's God's job. And the word of our testimony, that's our job. Oh. By the way, word of our testimony there isn't just standing up at a service and testifying. It, that's a part of it. But it's living. It's, it's the word. It's the lifestyle of your testimony. If you're suffering today, I want you to be encouraged. You're not alone. If you were just to look around this room and God was to peel back all the layers for a moment you would see others who might even be facing very similar trials as you. And that should also encourage us that I'm not the only one going through this. The second action is in verse 14, 1 Peter 3, 14. But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. So the second action is don't be afraid. In this verse, three realities are presented about suffering. We have the right reason for suffering, for righteousness' sake. What, what, what better reason to suffer? If I'm going to suffer, 
Let it be for that. So I have the right reason. I have the right reaction to suffering. Happy are you. Now, that sounds counterproductive. That, that, that sounds like an oxymoron. I'm happy about suffering? Again, all we have to do is look at Peter and John. They get their backs whipped. And they say, thank you for counting us worthy to suffer for your name. The right uh, um, reason for his name, righteousness, the right reaction, happy are we. But also the right resolve to help you endure suffering. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Again, it goes back to the previous verse. If I'm following after what is good, they can't harm me. They might take this part of my life, but they can't take eternity from me. So I have the right reason to suffer for his righteousness sake. I have the right reaction to it. I'm happy. And I have the right resolve. I'm not afraid. I mean, after all, you can't kill a dead man. And I died a long time ago to Christ. <laughs> if they take my life, please don't think I'm, I'm signing up to be a martyr here or have a martyr complex. But, but if they take my life, I'm just that much closer to the trumpet. I get to rest in the, in the you know, paradise of God awaiting that day when the trumpet sounds and the saints rise. Wow, didn't get a lot of good sleep last night, so, you know, then I would get some good sleep, because the Bible says they're asleep in Jesus, so, anyway. Here's another way to consider suffering. Think of it this way. Suffering is a circumstance. It's, it's a fact. It's like this pulpit. It's, it's, it's here. You can see it. It's a reality. It's not an image. It's not theoretical. And circumstances... You can't really change, especially this one, because it's a reality within Scripture, both presently and even prophetically, suffering yet to come. But what you can do is change your thoughts about suffering. And when you do and you bring them captive to the obedience of Christ, guess what happens? Your feelings follow. We just saw this. But and if you suffer for righteousness sake, that's the circumstance. Happy are you. That's changing my thought. And neither be afraid or, or troubled, uh, you know, right? That's my feeling saying I'm not going to be afraid. And when that happens, this leads to positive biblical actions and results. Now let's, let's do that same, but this time let's have bad thoughts. Suffering is a circumstance. I can't change it. But I have bad thoughts about it. Why is this happening to me? Ugh, can't believe this. Guess what happens? My feelings begin to follow my thoughts. He's not suffering. I don't, I don't see him. She got blessed. Why am I even here? And it leads to actions and results that aren't good. So, so here's the principle, and, and this is a biblical fact. Your feelings are controlled by your thoughts. Therefore, you can control your feelings by controlling your thoughts. And the Bible says to bring them captive to the obedience of Christ. That's not psychobabble. That's Bible. I'm not, I'm not preaching to you, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy this morning. I'm preaching to you the word of God. 
I can bring my thoughts. I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind and not be conformed to this world, not think like them, and have a biblical perspective of what I'm going through. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Can I tell you, it's reasonable to live for God. And do not be, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Second uh, Corinthians ten three through six is where I quoted from about bringing our thoughts captive. We don't walk in the flesh. Verse three, we don't war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Verse four, they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in the mind, the thoughts. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And verse 6, having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, when I do this, when I obey the scripture, I'm equipped to help others fulfill it. I don't have to be afraid of suffering if and when it comes. Again, Peter here is quoting from Matthew 10, 28. He's also quoted from Isaiah 8, 12 through 13. And as well, I believe Peter may have remembered these words from Jesus. John 14, 27, Jesus said, this is on the night that he's, he, Judas has now left, uh, chapter 13, he's now left, uh, he's having this last supper with them, they're going to go to the garden and pray here in a little bit, and, and this is that last moment he has with them, and listen to what he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, that's the understanding we have to realize about peace. Peace is not the absence of chaos. It's the tranquility of my spirit in the storm. Okay? God's peace passes all understanding. What's that mean? It means I'm able to endure knowing that this is not the end. John 16, 33, Peter might have remembered Jesus' words here. Again, this is that same night, just a couple chapters later. He said, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. In other words, he could have, Sister Alicia, he could have said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but I'm going to stop it. You're not going to have to go through that. But he didn't say that. He said, in the world you're going to have this. However, look at the rest of the verse. In me, you'll have peace. Why? Because I have overcome the world. So the being of good cheer, the happy are ye, from 1 Peter, is not, yay, I'm going to suffer. No, it's, huh, this can't keep me from that. It might, might trip me up here. It might set me back here, but it can't keep me from there. And that's the reality. That's why we don't have to be afraid of suffering. It's temporal, but God is eternal. Did you know Satan and evil have an expiration date? Read it. It's in Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. 
That's the last we hear of Satan because he is cast into the lake of fire and bound in chains for everlasting torment. But God keeps going, 21 and 22, because he's eternal. And in this new heaven and new earth, there's no need for a sun and a solar system because the lamb is the light. I cannot wait to see what that's going to be like. Wow. But that's forever. Suffering, evil, Satan ends. If you read in 21 and 22 of Revelation, you'll find that there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more parting, no more sickness, no more sin. Amen. Jesus said these words one night during a storm, walking across the water, walking on the thing that was bothering them, the water coming into the boat, right? And he said these words, it is I, be not afraid. Can I tell you, the second action to addressing suffering is to not be afraid. Number three, always be ready. 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So we're following what's good. We're not being afraid. And now we're always going to be ready. This is the third action of how we address and deal with suffering. When we face difficult situations, when we suffer for well-doing, we keep reverencing God. Realizing He is holy. Realizing that He too suffered unjustly. You know what helps me go through my suffering when I, when I suffer for well-doing? Is to know that he suffered in my place so that I could have life. I couldn't atone for my sin. I couldn't hang on that cross and shed my blood and forgive my own sin or yours or anybody else's. So he had to suffer for me. Okay. It's interesting that Peter says, sanctify God in your hearts. The heart is the seat of emotion. So this reverencing of God helps to calm your emotions. God, you're still holy. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why I'm facing this, but you're still good. You're still God. It, it's why the uh, uh, Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In other words, don't try to figure God out. Calm your emotions down and let him be God. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In the suffering, acknowledge Him. In the pain, acknowledge Him. In the good, acknowledge Him. And He shall direct your paths. That literally means make them straight. You see, when I'm suffering, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the map and I don't know what's going on. And when I'm trying to figure it out Myron's way, I, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm over here. But when I begin to say, okay, God, I'm going to stop. Uh, Lord, I acknowledge you. I'm trusting you. All of a sudden, he makes the path straight. His word becomes a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I may not understand why I'm going through what I'm going through through but I know he's there with me amen he's walking with me yay though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me hallelujah it's how I endure it I'm always ready and because of that I'm ready to give an answer 
to those who inquire about the hope. How can you be hopeful when you're going through this? Glad you asked. Because my hope is not here. It's there. 1 Timothy 1.11 actually tells us that Jesus Christ is our hope. It says, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. My hope is not here. It's in Him. It is. He is my hope. In Titus uh, 1 and 2 and also 3 and 7, he says, in hope of eternal life. In Titus 2.13, he calls the coming of the Lord the blessed hope, the glorious appearing. 1 Peter 1.3, he called it a lively hope. And notice Peter says, the hope that is in you, back in 3, chapter 3, verse 15, the hope that is in you, that parallels what Paul said in Colossians. He said that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. So he's with me, he's in me, he's all around me. I don't have to be afraid. I'm, I can always be ready to give an answer. This is why. Because he's my hope. This is why, because this is not the end. My address might be X right now, but it's not my permanent. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm only here temporarily. Hallelujah. Once you realize the value of your eternal hope, it should be extremely easy then to always be ready to give an answer. And that will help you to realize, oh, this is why I'm doing it, to help others. I'm trying to help somebody today here understand why you're going through what you're going through. And, and I don't want to say this to sound disparaging or, or invalidating, but it, sometimes it's not about you. I don't mean it to say I don't care or that God doesn't care. Because I do validate that it hurts and it's frustrating and, and it's difficult. I get that. I've been there. I, I understand. And I will empathize with you. I will sympathize with you. I will zip my lip and open my ears and listen and be attentive and help you any way I can. But we have to also realize it's not about us. It's about who we represent and where we're going. And it just might be that somebody else can see that. Like I showed you a minute ago over the South. That he did it. She did it. I can do it. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we give enough money to the church. Oh, hold on. Let me, let me just double-check here. Right? If we faint not, that means don't give up. All the young men are downstairs, but Mario, you might be one of the youngest. Come here, brother. Please. All right. If we were going to do a dash from here to Blissell, Mark said go, right? How many think I would win? Come on. How many think Mario would win? Okay. All right. I get a head start. <laughs> so, so watch this. Mario might be faster. But the race is not to the swiftest. The Bible says. He might get there before me and that's okay. It's not about my distance from Brother Mario to me. 
It's the fact that I'm enduring. It's the fact that if he's made it, he's now cheering me on. Come on, Bishop, you can make it. I might be a little bit slower. I might have a limp like Jacob. But if I endure, if I just keep going, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Don't give up. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it's, 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 it's painful. But if you'll just keep going, keep praying, keep believing, keep serving God, keep reading your Bible, keep believing it will come to pass. You will reap eternal life. The fourth action is have a good conscience. 1 Peter 3.16 Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So what does it mean to have a good conscience and why is it so vital to enduring suffering? A good conscience is the Holy Spirit within. It's that conscience that says, don't read that, don't look at that, don't do that. It's God helping us to choose right and wrong, to determine between the truth and the false. It's having a pure mind and, and being cleansed and holy under the Lord. And as fiercely as Job protected and maintained his integrity, we must defend and protect our conscience so that it be doesn't become seared or defiled or evil as other scriptures indicate. When others slander you, don't retaliate. When they speak evil of you, don't think of a good way to get them back. Instead, be Christ-like. Do what he did. Let him rail on you. Let God defend you. And by your good conscience, they will be ashamed of what they've done. Otherwise, if you retaliate in kind and give them a piece of your mind, you will lose your witness for Christ. And that's why it's so vital. And then the question might be, well, how do I keep a clear conscience? How do I maintain this good conscience in Christ? Real simple, ready? It's going to rhyme. Pray, obey, and stay on God's way. Psalm 139, 23, search me, O God. Know my heart. I'm holding nothing back. Know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting when they accuse me. God, if I was, if there's even a kernel of truth to what they're saying, forgive me. I don't want to be this way. I don't want to be like that. And forgive them. 1 Peter 1.13, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance. I'm not going back to who I used to be. I'm not going to retaliate like I used to. I'm changed. I'm different. But as he which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I was talking to a man who had spent some time in prison. Unfortunately, he had got out and had to go back in due to some crazy thing. Difficult for him. 
when is this going to be over? I'm talking to him one day on the phone, and he says, them guys are saying things, and the old me wants to rise up and just waylay them. I said, don't do that. As much as you can, don't do that. You're different now. You're not who you used to be. God's got anointing upon you. Come on, just I know, I know it's easy to think that way, but, but gird up the loins in your mind. I was quoting to him these verses. He did. He, he shined the light of Christ. He was able to witness to some people. That's what I'm talking about. When you're in the midst of it, pause, pray, obey, and stay on God's way. And when you do this, you will reveal Jesus Christ. By the way, did you notice how the mind and heart are connected? He said, know my heart, David. Know my thoughts. Peter, gird up the loins of your mind. It means you can do this. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's no asterisk there. There's no fine print that says except suffering. No, I, I can even do this. So what are the four actions real quick? Follow after what's good. Don't be afraid. Always be ready and have a good conscience. You see, Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 are the only perfect chapters in the Bible. I don't mean the Bible's wrong. I mean in chapter 3, Satan enters. He doesn't leave until chapter 20 of Revelation. So prior to him coming and after him, there's perfect harmony and peace and godliness and goodness. And But he enters in. And by one simple act of disobedience, sin enters the world. Along with it comes pain and distress, calamity, affliction, death, decay, suffering. Now people say, why would God allow suffering? Because he believes in free will. And if we take a, I'm, I'm going to blow your mind with this. So buckle up, buttercup. If we take away the free will of those who caused me suffering, we have to take away my free will too. Oh, I, I wish I had some sort of, you know, ta-da, and boom, take away all the suffering and take away all the evildoers. I mean, but it doesn't work that way. I don't have some wand to wave. Humanity apart from God continues to make things worse. Causing people to suffer unjustly, cruelly, and accusing them falsely. But God uses it to reveal a better way. Only, you only have to observe Jesus Christ to see this. He used suffering to point to a greater reality, a kingdom not of this world. That's why the Bible could say, no man took his life from him, he laid it down. What that literally means is this, crucifixion was a brutal death. It took multiple men to hold the arms of those uh, criminals down as they pounded the spikes in and others to hold their other arms and feet. They're flailing and they're, they're fighting. And, and it took multiple strong, brute men to hold down. Jesus didn't do that. He just, no one had to hold him down. No one had to fight with him. He just laid there. I can imagine one of them soldiers, he's all ready and he's like, I don't have to do nothing. And the one with the hammer and the spikes, okay. He's not moving. He's not fighting. It blew their mind. No one took his life from him. He laid it down. I believe that's why the centurion at the end of it said, truly this was the Son of God. Yeah. 
Because something had happened. He had never seen that in his life. He heard him cry, Father, forgive them. That them was everybody there, everybody past, and everybody future. He used suffering to reveal a better way. I know it's not easy. I know some have been falsely accused. I know family that has maybe accused. I know it's difficult to stand for truth when others, especially family and friends, forsake. I know it hurts when others betray. I know it's difficult to persevere and it seems as if the suffering won't end. But if you'll endure, you'll trade suffering for joy. Dr. Carl McLaughlin said it this way. Let us always remember that the worst suffering can do is drive the final nail in the coffin of this flesh and serve as the key that opens the door to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. God acknowledges that it's difficult and that trying to understand the many afflictions of the righteous is not easy. Psalm 34, 37, 138 all do this. We know Jesus was not spared suffering. We see it prophesied in the old and fulfilled in the new. We know he bore our sorrows and griefs, Isaiah 53. Paul taught that the entrance into the kingdom of God comes with tribulation, Acts 14, 12. Which is why we must not let our faith be shaken, 1 Thessalonians 3. I'm running through these fast because I don't have time to put all the scriptures up on the screen. But I, I want you to get the image and understanding that the Bible's filled with this. Our suffering is to be understood rather as a finishing up of the remainder of Christ for his body, the church. We see that in 2 Corinthians and, and also in Colossians. The biblical picture of the end times is that it will grow more intense and affliction and suffering will happen as the end times approach. And the forces of Satan will attack in an effort to deceive and destroy the elect. But when Jesus is revealed from heaven in flaming fire. The Bible says God will repay with affliction those who have afflicted believers and will bring vengeance upon those who have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. On that day, there'll be no appellate court. There'll be no other uh, juries or, or attorneys or ways to overturn a verdict. On that day, he will reign and rule as judge, jury all by himself. And in some cases, as executioner. I want to be on the right side of God on that day. When that gavel falls, I want him to be saying, well done, good and faithful servant, not depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And that's what gives me hope in the earthly suffering that I do. Knowing there's a day coming where there is no more. I saw recently. <laughs> it was a headstone. A child that had passed away. And lived a short life. And had been confined to a wheelchair. I don't remember all the sickness and disease. But for some reason God chose not to heal. 
But on the headstone, they had it carved out where wheelchair and the child out of the wheelchair reaching up to God standing. And it gave me the image that whatever suffering that boy, it was a, it was a young boy, had, had had on this earth, in the presence of God there is no more suffering. And that's what we have to remember about what we go through. Charles Spurgeon wrote, he said, God never fails. He is never a dry well. He is never as a setting sun, a passing meteor, or a melting vapor. And yet, we are as continually vexed with anxieties and molested with suspicions and disturbed with fears as if God were a mirage in the desert. The Bible says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray just the last minute here, but here's what's so amazing about grace. It's that suffering is temporal, but God's joy, God's peace, and God himself is eternal. And so in a moment when I begin to pray, would you ask the Lord to just help shift your perspective from the here and the now to the there and the then? Jesus, oh God, I feel upon me that which you have said, being moved with compassion, being your under-shepherd here, knowing what some are going through. God, I feel the weight of what they're facing. And I thank you for that. God, but I ask you to help us all to turn our gaze beyond the temporal to the eternal. That we would see you above and beyond our circumstance. That our thoughts would change and be more in line with the biblical narrative of your holy word. Oh God, help us today to look through the lens of Scripture to understand why we're going through what we're going through and to be prepared to hear the trumpet sound and to greet you and be in eternity with you forever. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I did, I, I, you may have heard me pray that. I, I, actually, I knelt right here this morning. I said, Lord, let me be moved with compassion like you were today. And I, I don't say it to boast or I hope you can understand my heart in saying this, but I, I feel that today, what Jesus may have felt when he was moved with compassion. I want you to know you matter to God. You matter to me. You matter to each other. We're in this together. I love you. Let's come back after our break and be ready for what God's going to do in worship.